everybody and welcome to the Empathy Podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth. Today we're talking to Lockie Samuel about fly in, fly out. So guys and girls who leave their homes for days and weeks on end to go and work remotely in mining and oil rigs and all sorts of different places um, and what that's like mentally, what that's like emotionally, what why people do it, what the stresses are, what the pressures are, but also how they can take care of their mental health better and how we as a community can take better care of them and support them better. Um, yes, yeah, so today, Lucky Samuel, fly in, fly out. It was a really interesting discussion. Um, we do cover some pretty deep topics, so um, be, just be prepared. We do cover some topics like suicide and drug and alcohol use. So you've been warned. Um, I really hope you get a lot out of today's discussion. It's a really important piece of the discussion because that is the reality for fly in, fly out workers. Um, my name's Leanne Butterworth. This is the Empathy Podcast. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name's Leanne Butterworth. You're here with the Empathy Podcast, Empathy and Industry. Um, today, we're talking to Lockie Samuels, and we're exploring empathy and mental health in fly-in, fly-out workers. Now, I think for a lot of us, we haven't really thought about that at all before but for Lockie that's what he does um Lockie you've got a background in fly and fly out and now you've turned to mental health in fly and fly out do you want to tell us a little bit bit about who you are and what you do yeah so my story essentially come over from New Zealand on a one-way ticket lived in Kalgoorlie for four years doing drive in drive out and then fly in fly out met someone moved to Perth, uh, she became depressed while I was working away uh, and I was so identified as the FIFO guy making a lot of money, working really hard, um, being around all the guys, all the brothers and I just didn't understand her pain, I had no empathy, no compassion, totally narcissistic and wouldn't stop even though she was um, threatening to take her life. So instead of stopping, I was on five days on, two days off roster. Instead of stopping and coming home and making sure that she was okay, I got a four-in-one roster instead. Um, as you can imagine, things fell apart there. I became depressed as well. Is that four-in-one, so four weeks or four, that's four weeks and or four days? Yeah, four weeks. No, there's no four-day roster. Yeah, okay. So it's either five days on, two days off or four weeks on? One week off, is that right? Uh, there's heaps of different rosters. Okay. I became depressed because I no longer had like the validation servo, having a partner there whenever I needed a top-up and got forced to resign from my four-in-one roster. Uh, neither of us knew what depression was, but I was embarrassed and sort of, I guess, sunk into depression or fell into depression, just spiralled out of control from there, wasted all of my money, uh, started borrowing money to pay off my debt, to pay for food, and then um, one day attempted to take my life. And yeah, wow. From, yeah, from there, it was about a two-year process of working on myself. Um, what were you my, doing in that time? Were you working still? Or? Yeah, I was still – what was I doing in that time? Yeah, I was working at a gym. Okay. Yeah, so a good environment for me to be in, very uplifting. 
having to be super outgoing. Um, worked on myself to the point where I felt I was good enough to go back to FIFO, still enticed by that money and being able to say that I made that much. Um, and within three months, had one of the guys out there take his life, Yikes. hang himself. Uh, that started the conversation with a lot of the older guys on site that he was a faggot for doing that, oh God. Um, which sent me into depression, back into depression, and I really just fell apart until one day I just walked off site into my superintendent's office, said, hey, man, if I go back to my room, I'm probably going to try to hang myself again. Uh, and he just, he was good. He closed his door, let me cry, and packed my room up, put me on a flight, but never heard from that company or that superintendent again after being put on that flight. Um, and to make it worse, six months later, one of my good friends up there uh, ended up taking his life as well. Whoa, okay. Okay. So this is going to be a very different conversation to what we normally have. Um, and for those of, I guess, I just let me put it out there. For those of you who are listening, um, if, if today brings up anything for you, please make sure that you call somebody, um, whether it's Lifeline on 13, 11, 14, but we are, by the sound of it, going to get into some deep stuff today. Um, so I guess my first question is, what did you do? Because you said you went to Kalgoorlie um, first off. What do you mm -hmm. do? So fly and fly out. What was it that you do? Like what was your job? What was the sector? Uh, I was in Kalgoorlie is mostly drive in, drive out to gold mines in the gold fields. Uh, so I was mostly doing that for maybe four odd years. And I was doing what every Kiwi does and they come over as scaffolding. Yeah, so what enticed me was I was a apprentice plumber slash drain liner in New Zealand working about 60 hours a week for maybe $460 a week. Okay. And come over to Kalgoorlie, first couple of weeks of being there, making like two to two and a half grand a week. Gotcha. So is it largely money that brings people out? Because is that the payoff? Is that the enticer? Like are there other reasons yeah. to go out there or is it mainly the cash? Yeah, well, the whole why people go into it and especially um, Kiwis is because there's that pay gap. If you, Especially if you're not someone who's highly educated, been to uni or um, any sort of, I guess, TAFE or further education beyond high school, then FIFO and mining is a really easy way to make good money really, really fast. Yeah. So then I guess the, the question comes up. So you're attracted to it because of the money. Mm -hmm. There's a few different places we can go with this conversation. The first question I have is, well, then, is there anything that you actually – Apart from the money, is there anything that you love about the job? Like, is there anything that sort of keeps the guys in there and they absolutely love it? Or is it a job with cash? I think it's for most people, they are going there strictly for the cash unless they have friends or family who are there, which provide another reason. And then once you're there, if you're in a good group, especially on your, if you're on a roster, if you're with a bunch of guys or, or girls who you really enjoy being around, then that's a, an added bonus. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I don't think there really is too much else. So most people that I've worked with hate the job but love the money and they 
mold their lifestyle to fit the income. Right. So then is that why – so is is there financial literacy amongst the guys, like in terms of get in, no. make cash, save it, make a plan, or is it buy boats and jet skis and – yeah, it's it's very much um, work hard, play hard. That's the right. mentality. So there then are if, people who go in financial literacy and do really well, but for the most part, there's none. So my question is, because if we're looking at um, reducing the stigma and judgment of guys in FIFO and going, well, just suck it up, you get paid the big bucks, what's the answer to the question then, why don't you just leave? Why don't people just leave Why don't making you just, good money? Exactly. If it's that bad and, you know what I mean, like if your mental health is, is that bad, why not just go find another job that you don't hate? Uh, because for most people, they begin living a lifestyle to match the income. Yeah. And to walk away from that means failure. Means failure. Okay. Yeah, okay. So then, especially it, it, in the the eyes of their family, I guess, or they assume that's what their family would feel and think. Yeah. Okay. And is it a lack of transferability in terms of skills as well, and not knowing what else you could do, or is it mainly the cash? I mean, uh, there's a bunch of professions where they don't leave because they go, "What else could I do? I this is all yep. I know." Well, they could do the same work in town, but it's going to be probably less than half of what they're getting paid working away. Okay. Um, and to be honest, most most people who work fly in, fly out, find it hard adjusting coming back home. It's like two separate lives. It's very common to see guys and girls with camp partners while they have a family at home. Really? Like that's okay. how separate they become. Yeah, Okay. So then what is it? What's going on? What is it that we can try and unpack that or help us understand of why it's so, what are the stresses? What's going on that it's, I'd rather, not that I'd rather, it's not like it's a conscious choice, but what is it that's pushing people to that extreme of wanting to take their own lives? Uh, To be honest, I think that's, FIFO and what I've seen working, especially with guys, is that guys go into it for the wrong reason, just like I did, being a narcissist, being someone who was never expected to do much, never expected to be successful. When you have the potential to make X amount of money and be making as much as a doctor makes, that's pretty cool and you feel pretty good about yourself. Yeah. And so people go in with the wrong mentality, the wrong mindset of most of the time with mental health issues or that feeling of I'm not enough. And yeah, so they okay. use FIFO to validate that they are. So then they, they equate money with their ego, essentially. Yeah, with their worth, especially for dudes being the provider. Gotcha. Okay, so then are there many women out there who do fly and fly out? Or is it yeah, mainly yeah, there's... They're, BHP is working on becoming 50-50 split workforce. Yeah, okay. So there's quite a lot of women now. And is there a a difference that you've noticed between the mental health of men and women, or is it same, same? Uh, No, the the men obviously are less likely to talk about what they're going through. 
Like I went to, I went and did men's circles at a few camps up in Karatha and there were guys up there who had been through serious trauma. Like one of them had his best friend die in his arms Yay! and came back to work for his roster and hadn't told anyone. And it's like just shit like that. Guys don't open up, whereas women feel a little bit more comfortable to at least say something. What is it that stops guys from opening up, especially if it's that extreme? It's not like nobody would understand. Yeah, I think in that industry, as soon as you have an issue or present an issue, whether it's physical or mental, you become a risk and mining and FIFO is all about risk mitigation. Gotcha. Okay. So you're away from your family. And not that by the sound of it, that's necessarily a bad thing sometimes because you kind of recreate a new reality. Um, you've got, is it, what are the other stresses? So there's the money, I don't want to leave, but is it long hours, hard work, I hate the job, high demand? Like what's the? Yeah. So I think there's a, a one of the biggest things is a huge lack of trust for management like I said about risk mitigation, you can't open up, you can't share what you're thinking or feeling because there's that feeling that you may be ousted or kicked off, which happens quite a lot, especially if you're casual. So if you're in that position and you can't open up, then you can't really be yourself, therefore you're wearing a mask um, yeah. all the time. And then it becomes this toxic. It's a toxic culture, uh, not everywhere, but a lot of places where Banter is used as a tool to gain power. So if you can break someone down and break someone down with words until they flip out, then you win and you have power over them. Who's doing that's Is that colleagues or is that, is that the hierarchy? That's, that's what happens in trades and mining. That's how it works with dudes in those sorts of professions. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Because I <laughs> – oh. I don't want to go hug a tradie. Um, <laughs> so, is like just to just to give you an example. When I started, when I started as an apprentice, and I had friends with me as an apprentice, or when I started scaffolding in Kalgoorlie, it was all about how could I get you in the toilets and make you scared to go toilet and make you think we're gonna fuck you up in the toilets, and they Why just want to keep. It's a dominance thing. Uh, okay. Power, especially for people with insecurities. Gotcha. So it all boils down to fear, insecurity. I can't better myself, so I'm going to push you down. And yeah, okay. Right. That sounds like shit. Um, okay. So then I did hear somebody, at, I think it was at one of your events, they used the phrase the ivory tower. Yeah. Is. Not in, like you said, it's not in all industries, but is there a, there's this very us and them perception at the moment of we're just told what to do and, and that changes the culture within camps? Yeah, I think that's across the board and has been for a long time. It's people in the ivory tower, the guys and the guys and girls in the CBD offices who bark the orders and really have no idea what it's like to be a ground worker on site. Gotcha. Because in a lot of the interviews that I've done, it's very much that empathetic leadership 
affects culture, it affects mental health, it affects all that sort of stuff. So, okay, so we've got long hours, we've got a shitty culture, we've got uh, leaders without empathy, we've got a fear of losing control, losing ego, losing money, um, we've got fear, we've got insecurity, we've got... <laughs> cash, <laughs> yeah, you add into that up, relationship guys. as well. Are they dry camps? Do we chuck alcohol and drugs in there as well, or are they dry camps? Well, al- alcohol is a good revenue stream on their <gasps> camps. <laughs> no! <laughs> alcohol is like two, three times the price out there. Oh, my God. And who's selling that? Just the local... The companies? The companies sell the alcohol. Every every camp is like its own little village run by the company. Right. Okay. So, so the only outlets you have are gym, yeah, and pub, tell, or being tell. alone in your room. So there are steroids out there as well for dudes on the gym and steroid meth. You can get whatever you want out there. Right. Meth is a huge one. Really? Yes. Why? Like take you away from reality, sort of. Yeah, well, I think it's to break away from the monotony, to break away from the mental health issues, especially relationship issues. And you're all cashed up, so. Yeah. So what's the attitude with things like drug testing and stuff out there? Is that a thing? Yeah, drug testing happens like super, super frequently. Guys are caught out a lot. Um, you get breath out every morning. You go to work. And then you'll get surprise breathos or surprise uh, drug and alcohol tests. Um, but, yeah, it's quite frequent. And a lot of people stay away from drugs um, entirely, but there are those who find ways to skip it. Yeah, okay. So that, to me, the drug and alcohol testing sounds very symptom-based rather than why are they doing this in the first place? Like what is the pain point? What is it that they're trying to escape? So are there companies who are trying Oh, there's to- no understanding. There's no, like, as soon as you get caught out, you're gone. It's just risk mitigation. Gotcha. Because that would be, that would require self-reflection as well. You would think of, hey, can we yeah. do this better and differently and what will that cost us? Right. So then, what's happening? So that's the... To the sound of it, that's the worst case scenario. It's pretty common. Are there companies that are trying to change things and what is your goal role in trying to turn this around so that we don't lose guys who's, who ultimately, it seems, want to provide for their families and have a nice life? I mean, that they're not going into it with any ill intentions. It seems like good people trying to create a new, better life for themselves with cash who get caught up in negativity and things like that. How does what do you see as the future, and what is it that people are trying to do to change? And what is your role in trying to get this better? I think it has to start with screening, although that's probably a fair ways off. Screening people um, uh, with psychological evaluations to make sure that they're able to handle the isolation. How do you te- how would you test for that? Probably through like psychological surveys, gotcha, something like that. Okay. Yeah, um, but that's that's probably going to be a long way off because that means a lot more overheads for companies yeah. and a lot less men to choose from. Because ideally, they want people with issues 
who want to mask it with working really hard so they can get the most out of them. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's yeah, that makes you more money, doesn't it? So then, yeah, if you start saying no to people, then okay, that reduces your scope of workforce. Okay, so, and plus, how would you know? I mean, how do you ask a question of how do you go in isolated situations? You go, well, I don't know. I've never done it. I'm sure I'd be fine. Yeah. Um, and you can fake those things as well. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what other things um, are happening in the industry at the moment and mm -hmm. are you trying to, to have happen? Yeah, so I see the future being peer-to-peer support work, yeah. having the men's and women's circles at camp because that's really the point where people are at their lowest is when they're back in their donga alone, having to mull over any relationship issues, life issues in general. Yeah. Um, so there needs to be an outlet that isn't the gym and that isn't alcohol. Yeah. Like um, and then having, obviously, there's very little trust for management. So having people that the workforce themselves the guys and girls on the ground doing the work, having them select people they trust um, to open up to and to be vulnerable with to become peer support workers, that is the, that's what I see as the future. How do you have that without then having the um, ramifications of risk mitigation? In terms of... Well, if somebody opens up to you and yeah. says, hey, I'm struggling... How do you then, do you keep that to yourself? Like how do you make sure that that's a safe space and then yeah. what responsibility has that person then got to say, well, hang on, I let that person go back on shift even though I knew they were struggling. Like what does what in your mind does that look like? Yeah, I think it has to be a referral-based process. Obviously the peer support worker has to have some sort of assist training to deal with those sorts of conversations, whether that's a an assist or safe talk or counselling cert and then it has to be um, I guess case to case and they have to determine whether or not they're a risk to themselves and to others and if they are then refer those people on um, yeah. to I guess the EAP external assistance providers which are yeah. usually like counselling or psychologists and yeah. they're not allowed to go to the company either unless oh, you are a, a risk gotcha. to yourself. Yeah. Um, so the peer support workers would be a referral service, but that'd be people who the workforce trusts enough to open up to. And yeah. so it's, yeah, they're not tasked with telling management who's feeling what and who's thinking what. Yeah. They're just providing the space for people to open up and then refer on to the external assistance providers if needed. Yeah, gotcha. So that's sort of, because, I mean, peer um, peer support programs exist in sort of the fireies and the um, the police and things like that. So, and the thing that's different about that to an external or a management is they know they've got that empathy. They've been there. They've done that. They know it. Yeah. Okay. So then, so what impact does team have? Because you said before, um, if you're lucky enough to have a good team, and I guess this kind of plays into the peer model that you're talking about. What impact does team have on your work um, life? Well, just think about it this way. If you're out on a site 
you can't use your phone for 10 to 12 hours a day and you have a team that you have to work with every day for 10 to 12 hours for 28 days in a row and you don't like them, that's going to be a pretty toxic place to be. Yeah. And how do you is, – is team just something that you're lucky or you're unlucky or do you guys do things that enhances team and team culture and team, or is it kind of just not nah, get on with the job? So when I when I say team, it's like literally just the crews that you're put into. So most people have no choice who they work with. They're just put into or randomly assigned into teams based on what management want. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just luck of the draw, really. Okay. Uh, there there are like activities where you I mean you can do stuff together, basketball, sporting stuff, but nothing really beyond that. Okay, so there's nothing sort of actively in, actively encouraging a good culture on site? No. I mean, people will spout it and it's just lip service at the moment, to be honest. Okay. Is there pushback to the lip service stuff? Yeah, there's a lot of resentment from ground workers towards management. That's why there's no trust. Gotcha. So you don't trust management. So when they say, hey, guys, play nice in the sandbox, you're like, meh, what do you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So putting posters up on the walls going, be nice to each other. Um, okay, so what else is happening? So uh, in, a, in a utopian world, in order to have fly in, fly out, have good mental health, we'd have psychological evaluations to start with to make sure that the people who are going in can handle the conditions. Yeah, and I think it would be to assess the issues that they've buried or are ignoring currently as well. Okay. Yeah, wow. That would be fun. Um, And then peer-to-peer as well, so knowing that you've got people that you can trust. What other sorts of things are you sort of advocating? What are you doing at the moment to try and better the mental health of this industry? Uh, to be honest, I've um, I've moved away from working with companies themselves. Have you? And yes, moving towards working with FIFO workers individually. Right. Okay. Because what yeah. were you doing with companies? So we'd we'd fly out to the site. We'd do uh, workshops all day. Yeah. And then we'd go to the camps at night and hold men's circles and women's circles. Yeah. for people to open up and then we'd write up reports about that and then uh, give them, I guess, feedback and recommendations on where They're to go in management. terms of mental health. Yeah, uh, okay. management in the offices, in the ivory towers. Gotcha. Okay. And so what was the effectiveness of that and what was the, the uptake of that? Uh, the uptake was pretty good in terms of speaking in the workshops and being able to go to camp. The reports were received really, really well by most well-being teams. Yeah. But getting it from well-being team to general manager or anyone like that just wasn't happening. It's um, something gotcha. that most general managers aren't interested in, to be honest. <laughs> um, right. Because, and that would be demoralising as well. So what have you? So you've sort of stepped away from the corporate side and trying to change the ivory tower and trying to change the system to let's try and fix the guys who maybe are struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Trying trying to give guys the tools because that was initially, that's why I wanted to work with companies 
so they could get us out there and we could do big batches of of guys and girls who worked on the ground and yeah. giving them tools, helping them, I guess, gain some context or self-awareness as yeah. to why they're feeling the way they do. Yeah. Um, but it's just going to be more efficient and practical to do it in the city when they're on break. Yeah, okay. And try and sort of get increase their resilience and mental health and financial literacy and all that sort of stuff while they're on break and they're receptive to it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, receptive receptive to it and you're reaching the people who want to help. Right. And I think that was the issue of working with the companies is that you're reaching everyone yeah. instead of just targeting and focusing your in, uh, attention and energy on the people who actually want it because those are the people who are going to do the work. Yeah. And especially if you're going into run workshops and all that sort of stuff and write reports and put in all that effort and the people who are participating you would think would have an expectation that, hey, we've participated in this, it must be important, things are going to improve, they voice their concerns, they learn some things and then nothing changes. That would yep. be gut-wrenching. Yes, so that's what the feeling was. I think we presented to like a 1,000, maybe a 1,000 guys the back end of last year in batches of 50 and yep. every group we had, we held a what are your current issues for 10 minutes for every group yeah. to start it off. And uh, the first thing that come up in every group was, oh, you're just here to make our company look good. Uh, you're a so straight off, yeah, yeah, straight off the bat, you're on the back foot. And they, they just resent the company because they know nothing's going to change based on history. Yeah. And so even though you've come from a background of FIFO, that you were still one of the ivory tower, you weren't one of them. No, they, they really trusted me after I told my story, but there's still that underlying belief that nothing was going to change. So we took all those issues. That's part of the report, present that. And, you know, some of the comments you get was, oh, can you edit this? Could you change this? Because um, the GM's just going to think it was a big bitch fest. Right. Right, and oh my lordy lord. All right, so they're probably so basically it comes down to if the if the ivory tower want to change, there are things that they can change, but if they're not willing to change, then it kind of makes it very hard. So again, it's got to come from empathetic leadership rather than um the well-being teams or anything like that like if it doesn't go all the way to the top of the food chain to say hey this matters this is important we're going to make these changes we're going to spend this money then all the groundswell doesn't make that much difference is that right yeah yeah exactly and like there's no regulations for mental health the reason they're forced to do so much with safety is because they're liable if they don't follow the the regulations yeah. and the code Whereas with mental health, there are only guidelines at the moment. And I think those brought in April last year. So if they don't follow the guidelines, they don't get in trouble. Those are just oh, tentative. That sounds... So un until there are regulations and code around it, yeah. I don't think it's going to change too much, to be honest. Yeah, okay. So then what sort of things are you doing with the, with the people on their week off? So that's just the stuff I'd usually do with like coaching clients, depending on what they want to work through. We have 
um, an investment group that we connect them with for financial literacy. Because yeah. most people have no idea how to use their money yeah. um, for investments that uh, don't have to work FIFO their entire life. Yeah. Uh, we'd be working through relationship issues, self-awareness, digging up buried trauma and moments of impact yeah. uh, and understanding the limiting beliefs that come as a result of that, I guess, yeah. Yeah, wow. It's a lot of self-work and yeah. introspection. Absolutely. And if you're not used to doing that, if you're used to blaming other people or yeah. Um, then, yeah, actually being told, no, 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 this is for you to do. This is not something you can throw money at. This is not something that you can buy. This is actually something you have to dig deep, self-reflect, be vulnerable, have compassion for yourself. That's um, that's some uncharted territory for lots of people. Um, yeah. And are you getting good results? Yeah, there's, you know, quite a few, especially men. Men are very, very open to this sort of work at the moment, which was um, surprising for me. I, I wasn't expecting it at all. Like I sort of saw it when I worked with the companies and the guys coming up afterwards who were just yeah. very, very broken and hurt yeah. who needed it. But to have them actually take action and to turn up and put in the work, uh, yeah, super surprising. Because I think you've got that added level of connection and um, accountability and vulnerability that you can have in a one-on-one -on -one, um, relationship as well, don't you? Like you're yeah, seeing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, wow. So then if we go back um, to where the story started, I guess, is you talked about your partner. What's it like for the partners? I mean, Lonely. yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. Is there support for them or is that, again, no, get, not really. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's no real support for them. I think they're allowed to utilise counselling from the bigger mining companies like BHP and Rio. Yeah. Other than, no. Okay. Not so that what, I'm aware of anyway. Okay. So are there are there groups of like FIFO partners that kind of get together and do they talk amongst themselves and support each other or I know there's like uh on Facebook FIFO wives pages. Okay that do relatively well, but I'm, I'm not too sure yeah, what's okay. within that and whether that's actually helping or just people sharing what they're going through. Yeah, okay. So what? Okay. So if we start to look at what is it that you think, so you've got the, the people who are flying fly it themselves, they can talk to you and we'll get to the end of how guys can contact you and what resources are available. What advice do you have for flying fly out workers who can better understand and support their families like are you guys how what is what do you tell people in terms of relationships i think the first thing is communication like going away being away for so long it gets to a point where a lot of guys if there's trouble within the relationship fifo and working away becomes their escape where they don't have to deal with the issues yeah but the problem with that is that they just compound. You just suppress them until they come up as a slip of tongue or abuse or whatever. Yeah. And so really communication is key um, and opening up that channel to your partner. But I think that has to first come with 
someone that you're not worried about being judged by, which is someone like me or another guy that you trust. Yeah, gotcha. So then what's the um what's the deal with fly in, fly out? Because it's been making the news lately with um coronavirus. Yes. So I I read just earlier that instead of being like four and one or five and two, it's now gonna be fourteen weeks. What impacts for some industries what's what impact would that have i think you're going to have a lot of a lot of workers going stir crazy yeah <laughs> like the i think the mental health risk is double the general population for yep. fifo anyway um and so to i guess in a sense more than triple the longest roster i don't i really don't know what to expect but negativity Wow. Okay. So let's start to wrap this one up. How, what advice have you got for people who are either looking down the barrel of, let's say a 14 week stretch or um, they're just doing their regular five and two or four and one. What advice have you got for people who are thinking of getting into the industry who are in the industry? What's your advice for them? I would say, make sure you have a good understanding and take time to bring awareness to that um, and understanding around why you're in mining or wanting to be in mining and how a long roster like that can impact you and your family and whether it's worth it. Like that's, it sounds a bit far fetched for some of the guys to get to that point, but that's really all you can do. Like at the end of the day, it's your decision and you either make an empowered one or a disempowered one. And yeah. one where you have to go because it's you're in scarcity is a disempowered decision, yeah. I feel. So if they are going in, it's a case of feeling good about it, knowing that you're in control, this is what you're doing, um, and to take the steps that they can. So whether it's talking to their mates on site, um, do, you've got reception out there. Like, do they get to use texting lifeline or phoning life like does those do those supports exist out there yeah yeah they do they can they can use their phones out there like every every camp's got a cell phone tower but it's for most people that isn't really something they'll do like external assistance providers which are provided by most mining companies have a two to five percent usage rate yeah okay. across the board so okay. like very very low utilization and has that got to do with that lack of um, lack of trust? Yeah, lack of trust, lack of rapport. It's the same thing like when, say, a guy gets injured out on site, and I've seen this a lot, you go to the medical staff on site yeah, and they'll try and clear you as quickly as possible whether you're fully healed or not so you can go back to work and so that you're actually being paid to do work instead of light duties, which is in the office helping out. Yeah. Um, and so the thought around mental health is that's only going to be worse. And so most people won't trust external assistance providers. So ultimately it comes down to if you are looking at going on a stretch or if you're looking at, um, I mean, just your normal roster, do as much work in the off season in your downtime as you possibly can to build your resilience and financial literacy and, um, and your mindset and your empathy and self-compassion so that when you go in, you take your whole self and then you can bring your whole self back. 
yeah, like do as much work as you can do. Uh, Self-awareness and mindfulness is probably going to be the most important because you're going to more than likely be in a overly toxic environment, especially if you're going to do those long stints. Yeah. Like with four and ones, it's a thing where guys count down from morning one. So every day when you're at the bus waiting to go to site or to, uh, to site, guys will count down day 28 today, bro. Next day, day 27 today, bro. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so making sure that you have the ability when needed to catch the thought that's negative and destructive and toxic and to just throw that out and swap that out with an affirmation or something that's a little more positive, that's going to go a long way. Yeah. And also reaching out to your mates and making sure that you're speaking up and that when you're, if someone speaks up, make sure you're listening without judgment. Yeah. 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 If you feel comfortable to do so. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Do you do you encourage guys to like do journaling or anything like that, like rather than yep. speaking up? Yeah, journaling is if you're not comfortable speaking up, journaling is probably like the uh, entry point for self awareness. Yeah, awesome. I feel yeah, like cool. it is anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like it's just giving a voice to your thoughts and giving yep. them legitimacy and giving them an audience. Um, <laughs> Yeah, cool. So then what do you want the public to know about fly and fly out workers that you cuz we see the jet skis and the boats and the high and the high salaries and go mm, more power to your life's good. What do you want the public to know so that we can better support you guys? Uh I think when things aren't going too well or when people who work in mining or fly and fly out actually find the courage and the strength to open up be a little, have a little bit more empathy and compassion because when I first started telling my story of um, attempted suicide and XYZ, the common response was kill yourself. Right. So, so there really is a lack of empathy and compassion based off of these people making more money than me. So I guess that would be what I'd say. Right. That's horrible. Um <laughs> Um, right, so I guess that comes down to don't be a dick. So, um, <laughs> yep. right. So, to the general public, don't be a dick. Everybody's going through some stuff. This is not easy, and money is not the answer to everything. Um, what is it that you would like the hierarchy to know? The ivory tower. If you had an audience with the ivory tower and they could do anything that you say, what would you tell them? I think it would be, un- yeah, understand the return on investment. Like, um, obviously, you have to put it to them in a way which they understand and which resonates with them. And it would be understand the return on investment, which has been shown um, as of late to be between 2 to $9 for mental health in mining. Right. And so why not spend that on improving mental health to improve your revenue? Absolutely. So you don't, you don't do nice things because it's the right thing to do. Um, you do nice things to make a buck and isn't yeah yeah. and that that seems to be across the board that it's actually really hard to explain that you get better results better outcomes lower costs when you have a workforce who are happy and engaged and mentally healthy and positive and actually put in more effort 
and enjoy their work and speak highly of you. Like they speak highly and brand reputation is important. Um, yeah, so there, there's absolutely that return on investment and studies have been shown across the board. So I think if, I, if I'm um, paraphrasing you correctly, it's be human, don't be a dick, <laughs> do the right thing by your people and you'll still get paid. Yes. Sound about it? <laughs> well, we'll put that in a policy. Don't be a dick. Um, but it, yeah. And I think when you look at it, there's so much fear and insecurity in those, in those industries, in those people, um, that there's lots of room for change and it can't, I'm going to say based on today's discussion, I'm hoping it can't get any worse. It can only get better. And so with people like you, um, really fighting for that and upskilling and getting the word out there that there is a better way and it is positive and profitable can i only get better you would hope yeah you'd hope so we'll see what happens with these long 14 week rosters yeah go from there. and then when the apocalypse is over who knows what's going to happen yeah <laughs> lucky if people want to find you thank you so much for today if people want to find you and talk to you how do they find you and what what sort of resources have you got Cool. So, Lockie Samuel on most platforms. I'm probably most active on LinkedIn, um, as well as the podcast. Open up with Lockie Samuel. That's on all podcast platforms, and that's essentially a mental health podcast. Where I talk to people about their story of struggle and how they overcome it. Uh, apart from that, coaching. If anyone feels like they need help moving through any anxiety. Um, stress, anything like that, feel free to reach out. And I've just launched uh, my new coaching program, which is Penis Proud. For guys who have shame, yeah, removing shame around penis size for men. Right. All right. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. That was unexpected, but I'm guessing given the amount of time we've spent talk, talking about money and ego they seem to kind of go hand in hand yep. um all right but you are doing some awesome work and i wish you every success so if you do want to get in touch with Lockie, he is everywhere Lockie samuel um open up is the podcast and yep. yeah thank you so much for joining me today Lockie. i've just i'm gonna to have to put a warning on the beginning of this one but <laughs> that's where all the i think all the best discussions come with a warning on the beginning um Thank you so much. You enjoy the rest of your day. You take care and take care of your beautiful babies. Um, oh, thank you. And I will talk to you soon. Appreciate you. Thank you for the time. Well, that was a huge discussion. Um, thank you so much, Lockie. I really got a lot out of that because I, did, I really didn't realise what it was like. Um, and I think that's the point of all of these podcasts is to go behind the mask, to go behind the perception and really see what's going on in professions such as the armed forces and fly in, fly out. And I really learned a lot. And I, I hope that you do too. Uh, my name's Leanne Butterworth. This is the Empathy Podcast. I'll see you next time. Okay, bye.